With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This clip is brought to you by Walgreens. Walgreens offers you the right tools to help you manage your prescriptions right on the phone. With Walgreens, easing your stress and managing your health go hand in hand. For know your prescription price, the price isn't final. This is an estimated price based on your insurance coverage. There's so much relief in speaking to someone that's not your family that you could just, uh, like desnudarte. <laughs> o sea, desnudarte emocionalmente and say, hey, here, here it is. I'm going to let it all hang out. And you get liberated. Listen to new episodes of Cheekies and Chill every Monday on the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball, all basketball, all the time. And if you've been joining us, if you joined us for our first two episodes with, uh, with Steve Wojciechowski, you're probably blown away. Episode two was really got emotional, you know, and if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Talked about after his freshman year and what a struggle it was and how, like so many of us, he called his dad and wanted to come home. And his dad said, you know, like, you can come home, but you're not going to another school. You're going to come work with me on the docks. It was outstanding. Um, Part three of our conversation is about his post-career and playing and getting into coaching and how it actually took place and, and becoming a head coach and how that took place. Let's get into it as we get ready for the NCAA tournament. A guy who's coached it at Marquette, a guy who's won a national championship as an assistant a couple times over at Duke. We talk about that as well. And of course, how he even got in to the business of coaching. Here's part three with Wojo. What was he like coach like before games so let me i'll give you the there was two coach sutton's pre-game okay there was game you're going to win coach sutton and in game you're going to win and he still did this for every game but it was different where he would he would basically write up it wasn't necessarily goals they were it was like a baseline and it was it was it, it was a really kind of unique way of getting you to play at that optimum level of energy where you know, we were to hold them below 40% field goal shooting, shoot above 
hold them below 30% three point shooting, hold them below usually like 60 points, whatever. And it was, it was like, you could say like a goal chart, but they were all achievable goals. And his thing was, you know, like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. It wouldn't necessarily be like, hey, we're forcing this guy. Like, we had scattering report, but when coach would stand up there, this is what you're doing. And if you don't do it, I'll see you at 7 in the morning. That was it, right? right? <laughs> see you at 7 in the morning, you know, and, and you know, and, and, and we'll deal with it then. And so, uh, and then, but big game coach, you'd have the same kind of goals up in mind. Obviously, they'd be lessened a little bit in terms of how you're going to hold somebody, but it would it would be about how hard you're going to play, how tough you're going to play, how together you're going to play. Okay, and you know then, and then he would do this unique thing. Whatever the betting line was, was a bad thing for you. Vegas thinks you're a six point favorite. Vegas ain't seen us practice. They got no idea, right? Or Vegas thinks you're a five-point underdog. Hey, you're not any good. They do it for a living, brother. They think you ain't going to win this game, right? So that was Eddie Sutton, Mike Krzyzewski. He's going to coach his final game at Duke. He walks in for the Wake Forest game, for a Carolina game. What's he actually like? Um, he's intense. But, you know, there there wasn't like the big, you know, sometimes you see – whiteboards and you know i did it too it's like you got offense defense you have all these numbers and he just he'd come in and he'd write on the board attack and circle it and and he'd say i want you guys what do you say guys what what do you you say yeah because you know one of the things that's actually good i don't know about the you know connor book how you feel it doesn't really matter but my, my one of the things is like look Guy likes to use the word motherfucker, which uh, coach that never cursed. Now, assistants cursed, and he actually would make assistant coaches run for cursing, but they cursed a lot anyway. But he would right. never curse. Now, he could make you feel this big anyway, and he would get it across the point. Mike Krzyzewski, like famously, he curses a lot. So when you say guys, like, what would he actually say? What was he actually like? You know, he, he would write things on the board like attack or fight. And then he said, I want you MFers to fight for everything tonight. And, and it would be short. And, and we were, you know, at that point, the preparation had been done. You know, it, and it, not every game before every game was a new right. Rockney speech, but he kept things simple. Like, it wasn't like, okay, I want you to think about not allowing them to shoot 50% from three, fit from the field. I want you to think about, like, you know, on the ball screen, like, no. The thing I want the the most important for you get thing for you guys to think about is to fight fight together and do that for forty minutes and and we'll figure out a way to win you know or attack and so he would the mental piece of it where he would free your mind and direct your mind into something that was easy to understand difficult to execute but you could always come back to it like what am I supposed to do right now no you're Supposed to fight this possession. Just fight this possession. And when this one's over, like do it again. Yeah. And when that one's over, do it again. Do it again. You know, it's you know, like, and so there was, you know, there was, I think, beauty in his simplicity in the fact that like there's pressure, there's crazy crowds, there's really good players you're competing against, and 
I think at times you can become paralyzed by if you're thinking about too much. Like you're supposed to fight and fight. Everybody knew on the, on the the big picture what it meant, but for everybody, like what fight, what fighting looked like in my role was running the team. Like yeah. if I wasn't in command of our team, if we weren't organized, if there was not communication with the bench, I was not fighting. You know, if Trajan Lang wasn't working to get up and off the ball, you know, like it's so we understood the mission, and the mission did not was not confused by coach speed and and numbers. It was it was this we're we're gonna do this. We're gonna fight and we're gonna fight together. And you're gonna do it for 40. We can do that. And and we we can do that better than you can. There's things that you can do better than us, but you can't do that one thing better than us. Your senior year. Now it's a magical duke here, right? Yeah. You have this unbelievable group of freshmen, right? You got the three B's and William Avery is a freshman. You got veterans. You got Rashawn, who's for us, when we played against guys, he was unguardable. He scored outside and in. You had your experience, having experienced all the, like the heartache of early, right? So you had, I, I think you do need that in, in order to really kind of appreciate it. What was the senior year like? It was an incredible ride. Um, really, it was like everything coming full circle from, you know, dis- some disappointment, a lot of disappointment my freshman year to building it back to like my senior year. It's like, felt like we were back. Like we were legitimate national champion contenders. We had a really good team with good people. And we had as, we had as good a chance, maybe not better. <laughs> Our neighbors, you know, nine miles down the road were pretty freaking good too. Um, we had as good a chance as anyone to win the national championship. And um, that was, that was our goal. And ultimately we fell short of it. Uh, which was disappointing. Uh, but the program was back in terms of, all right, these dudes are, they're, they're different. They're different. When, when it's done, when you, you lost it, what do you remember about the contestants? I mean, it was a hell of a game. I mean, we started, we, we, my senior year, I felt like I, I didn't play real well in the NCAA tournament going uh, up to that point. And I felt like, and, and I don't know if we played as well as we were capable of, and I'm not sure why, but at the start of the Kentucky game, it felt like, all right, this is, this feels right. And we built a, a big lead against a Kentucky team that was a big time team. And then early in the second half, you know, it, now, nowadays you can't do it, but in the past, like one of the plays that was seen as like smart, that people would do it's like balls going out of bounds call and you can jump out of bounds in the air and call timeout and you got yourself an extra possession and it, there was more focus on that and the fact that you actually lost the timeout <laughs> um, so that happened to us a couple times early in the second half and so we were we were very limited on timeouts and like a really good team did they had they made a they made a run and we we were never able to stop the run. And maybe it was funny about the it was funny about the timeouts. We I screwed up the timeouts against you guys that same year. So here here's the here's the scenario. Okay, it's tie game, Lexington. Okay, and you and I are going at it. And like the, basically, I thought we thought 
you guys were overpressuring. That you didn't, right. you're overpressuring, and then if you'd beat you guys off the dribble, you'd overhelp. Uh, it was just overpressure. So we everything we ran, we spread out a little bit more. Okay, and and you know we were bit we we were coach was never a playoff two guy, right? He didn't. It's funny, like I I feel like coaching is so different now in terms of he didn't draw plays. He was it was more just about spacing and playing hard, and you know getting the ball to your best players. And staying out of the way. And if it came your way, you know, know what your role was. Really easy. But against you guys, it was space, okay? Because you can spread them out, you can get by them, and then they're going to overhelp and now something to be open. But it's two and a half minutes to go. And if you remember, that was Coach's first trip back to Lexington. My coach's first trip back to Lexington. And so we had police escorts everywhere, and there were threats and stuff because of the Kentucky deal. And there was a very, normally those crowds turned anti-Duke. Right. When you get to the last five minutes of a game where an eight seed's taken on one seed, it becomes everybody cheers for the eight seed. And especially when it's Duke, right? Like you, right. Every, people want to see Duke lose. It, it, it's a weird thing. But that time it was kind of split because everybody they, in Kentucky hated coach and <laughs> hated Duke too. So right. I don't think they liked anybody on the floor. Right. So coach is doing some motion, like, like, like moving both hands out. We had some hand signals for play calls. That wasn't one of them. Right, can't right. hear shit. So <laughs> back then, remember, you just do the 20 seconds. Yeah, I just yeah. call it 20 second timeout. What was our last timeout? So we run a play called Cowboy Fade, which is basically you throw it to me at the top of the key, and there's dual flare screens on each side. And anybody who ever saw us play knew I was only going to one side. I was going to Adrian Peterson's side because he was our best player. Mm-hmm. Right? Trying to think who, who was guarding him on the wing. Um, chased him over the screen. And I threw a flare screen to him. He drives and he misses a drive. You guys come down, you get to Rashawn and he goes to work and he scores. Now a tie game becomes a two point game, but we didn't have a timeout. So kind of same thing happened where it became kind of slow death where we couldn't stop. You guys got to stop, got a bucket, got to stop, got a bucket. And so we lost, I think by six, but it's the same thing where as a point guard, like you have to have in your mind timeouts. And I screwed up. I called the timeout just because I didn't know, one possession, I didn't know what he wanted. And I was a little still paralyzed at that some point in time, just doing my own thing. So you guys are light on timeouts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Job searching can be a lonely process. Endless searching, phone calls that go nowhere, applications that vanish. It's time for a better way to find a job. Express Employment Professionals is the local jobs expert you can trust, and they never charge a fee to help with your job search. Go to ExpressPros.com to find the office near you. Each year, tens of thousands of job seekers find work with help of Express Employment Professionals, and Express helps people find all kinds of jobs, from manual manufacturing to logistics to customer service to accounting and more getting an interview with express can be as easy as a phone call and with just one application with express employment professionals you're in the running for numerous opportunities in your community make your job search easier by letting the professionals at express be your talent agent to find you the right spot on a great team express employment professionals is your one connection for getting a job visit expresspros.com today You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has the tires that'll elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from a full line of Bridgestone tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. It doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com sports to see their Bridgestone test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews. Be sure to check out all the current special offers. Great tires at a great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com sports, TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And you could never, you could never get it back against Kentucky. We could never get it back. We could couldn't stop through. Once they got rolling, I mean, it was like everything they they threw up there went in, and, and and they were really good. And still ended up being a one possession game, and and uh, you know we could we just weren't able to to finish the deal, and uh, so that was really hard. I mean, obviously, uh, chance to play for the national championship and making the final four would have been. Uh, kind of a storybook ending, uh, so not not being able to to get to that point was was hard. Um, and then, as you know, college seasons, especially your senior, like they end so abruptly. It's like you are you're it, you're in it, and your mind, body, and soul is into everything you do for day after day, and then it's like it's over. <laughs> And it's almost like, well, what, what now? And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. 
Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes! Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Yeah. So, so this is amazing. We both lost in the Elite Eight and I, and, and I, I think the Elite Eight is the cruelest place to lose because the day before the Elite Eight, you do all the interviews as if you're going to the final four. Right. Right. And I don't know about you, but I remember waking up thinking, I've never cut down a net. Right. I'm going to cut down a net today. I, as a kid, I grew up going to final fours. And I was like, I'm going to play in a Final Four. And then all of a sudden right. you look up and like you said, it's a whirlwind. And then the buzzer sounds. Not only are you not going to the Final Four, you're not cutting down a net, but you're never going to play with the, in that uniform with your best friends for a, a guy you have an incredible amount of respect who's like a second father to you. Like, it's a lot. I remember sitting in the locker room in Syracuse, New York. I mean, it's like my mom's alma mater. Right? Right, There's right. all this other stuff going on. And I was just... I was crestfallen. I really was. I was like, I never get to play with these guys ever again. I don't get to wear this uniform ever again like that. And I, I felt like I let coach down. That's really when I ask our guys now, like, what do you remember about the last game? I remember I let coach down. All I want to do is get him to a final four. Do you remember your feelings in that locker room? Yeah, it's many of the same feelings that you just described. Uh, again, it, it just happened so abruptly and you're trying to put it all together. Your, your mind uh, is rewinding to all the things that you went through in the past at the same time, like trying to, to piece together what just happened. And then the idea, like this is the future that this never going to be a part of your present anymore. Like you said, playing with your guys. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a whirlwind of emotion and it happens so quick because when you're playing, like you're not thinking about anything else opposed to what's in front of you. Then it stops and it's like all the flood of emotion from every direction is racing through your body and mind. Did you have a conversation with him like about coaching, about your future? How did he handle when you guys got back to Durham? Yeah. So after my junior year, we had a conversation about like he said, you know, you, when you're done playing, whenever the time is right for you, you should really think about getting in coaching. 
And you know, I and that's I'd one year already, by the that's one year by the way after he said you might want to play somewhere else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Things can change. Um, so in, when I was done playing, you know, I was invited to you know that time the pre draft was in Phoenix and I played well. You know, went to Portsmouth, made all tournament team in Portsmouth. Because of that, got invited to Phoenix and played there. Actually, my my coach was Kareem uh, and Mike and Michael Adams. Uh, who, who was a, a little guy played at BC and then yeah. played for the, the Bullets um, and played well out there. So you know, there's still part of me like I'm going to give this playing thing a try. And if you remember, at that time period, the NBA was locked out, and so the next, you know, if I didn't have a chance to like pursue the NBA, and not to say I would have made it, but I loved the chance to pursue it. The, the thing that made the most sense for me was to try to get a European passport and play with dual citizenship overseas. Cause the fact of the matter is a lot of guys look like me in Europe. So for me to fill one of the two international spots, it's going to be, it's going to be hard because they want guys that they don't have. Right. And there was guys that look like me and, right. and played like me. So I went to, I actually went overseas to Poland, played professionally in Poland. And at that time I was trying to, uh, the, the goal was to figure out like my Polish ancestry with hopes of becoming a dual citizen States and Polish, because that would have opened me up to playing play anywhere, the in Europe. Team, so, play anywhere in the world. Yeah. And um, couldn't do that. You know, basically my mom, I mean, she did a ton of work. My family actually came, my, my great grandparents actually came in through the St. Anthony's parish in Jersey city, Jersey. Uh, but we, but there was no records and, and, and come to find out there was no records of like birth certificates and stuff like that because Poland had changed hands so much right. in wars that everything was destroyed. So you, you, we got to like where they came in, when they came in, but anything prior to that, like of their, like where they were born, what city we, we couldn't find the answer. So I continued to play for the, the, the team in Poland, the team I played for was uh, PKK Pruszkov, which was a town about 20 minutes outside of Warsaw. We were actually sponsored by a Russian trucking company. And it was like, a, uh, our team had ties to the mafia. I'm convinced of it. You can't tell me otherwise. Like there was, there was, there's zero doubt in my mind. Um, but in 98, the, the Russian economy basically bottomed out. So the trucking company was like, we, we're not like going to sponsor a basketball team in, in Poland anymore. So the money dried up and I still stayed a couple months, but then I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like the, the Polish citizenship isn't going anywhere. I'm not getting paid. Um, like, what am I, what am I doing here? Plus you were playing um, at Duke. It's so hard when you play at a place like Duke, every game matters. Every game is life or death. If you lose, they they storm the court against you, right? If they if yeah. you win, you got a chance to be ranked number one in the country. You, and yeah. now you're just playing with a bunch of guys, right? Who you yeah. like, fine, but yeah. you're playing with a bunch of guys. And, and I had really a great really- time, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I played with Check Mike Jones. I played at T- TCU with uh, Lee Nalon, who was a really sure. good player. And then, yeah, uh, remember the name Richard Dumas? Of course, who, Oklahoma State. Who, 
Oklahoma State and, you know, was with the Suns when they had that great series against sure. the Bulls. And, and then he, you know, life happened to him and he was in Poland with me. I mean, it was, it was wild. So at the, basically after the new year, probably six weeks to a month left in the season, maybe late February, March, I moved, I ended up coming home. And I, I came home, I had Doc Martens and I had like 10,000 because they weren't paying us checks. Like they give us cash. cash. So I had like $10,000 worth of cash. In your shoe. Uh, stuff in my shoe. Did the same in thing coming home from Russia. Yes. 2001, we won a championship. I had $18,000 in cash. It was supposed to give me 25. They're like, all we have is 18 in cash. And I was like, I want to go home. Just give me what you got. And then they actually right. wired me the last seven, believe it or not, which everybody still finds to be totally bizarre. And so what you go and you're like, okay, coach, I'm ready. Like when did. So I, I come back, I come back and, you know, obviously fly into Baltimore and then I'm going to go down to Duke. And I actually stayed with coach uh, at his house. In his house? And yeah. yeah. Have you done that before? Um, yeah, I mean, not, not for an extended period of time. I and mean, we were at his house a lot as players, but not, not necessarily sleeping over. Um, so is your, like, you're, like, like you go and sleep over a coach's house like that, that seems kind of yeah. different, cool, little weird. Yeah, no, like, it's great. No, okay. I mean, well, it's just, uh, I mean, like you get up in the morning and coaches in his boxers and like having coffee together. Like that's not, a, not essentially. You got to remember at that time, he had a pretty big house. Uh, <laughs> you were in a wing, but, but it was, it was a, a way I think for him to make me feel comfortable being back, but also like to be able to talk and figure out a plan. So in a short period of time, um, I, when I went back to Duke, I got a job with uh, the Duke university management company, which, which basically invests the endowment. It was a separate company that invested the endowment. And so it was all the venture capital. So I got to sit in at some meetings. I remember one of the first meetings I was in was with Kleiner Perkins. And the guy from Kleiner Perkins was Joe Lacob, who's now the owner of, yeah, and he really. was a huge Hoop fans, Stanford at the time. And I remember like before, like the, the nuts and bolts of the meeting, which I had like no idea about, um, started like we ended up talking about like hoops for 10 minutes and then finally like i look around i'm like okay i better just shut up <laughs> he's asking me the questions i'm just you know uh and then i got a job at the duke radio network and did did some sideline radio and then i did some games for espn the first game i did on tv i did the the hofstra delaware game uh at delaware and the head coach for hofstra was jay wright and sure. the head coach for Delaware was Mike Bright. Mike Bright. Recruited, yeah. recruited. I mean, it was a hellacious game. So I did a couple of games there. And, you know, that, that end of the season went fast. And that 99 team was ridiculously good. Um, and the season ended and Quinn Snyder took the job at Missouri. And I went to visit Coach K in the hospital because he just had his hip replaced, his first hip replacement. And I went to check on him, not to like get a job. And so we're talking and, and, uh, he looks at me and he's like, so are you ready? And I'm like, ready for what? And he's like, I want you to, to join. I want you to be an assistant coach. I want you to take one spot, you know? And, you know, again, I'm like, holy shit. Um, 
you know, out of all the guys that would die to work for him. I'm 21 years old. I still haven't turned 22. So I'm sitting there and in my, in my head, I'm thinking he's probably on a lot of pain medication. Like I better make sure <laughs> I better make sure like, this is not like a, a pain medication talking. And this is like coach K talk. So I said, yes. And ended up, you know, that was, that was sometime in April because Quinn went to Missouri and, and then I started coaching. I remember talking to Quinn. I was like, what like <laughs> this happened really fast. Like, what do I need to do? And Quinn, Quinn said to me, he said, make sure you get Chris Duhon. And he was freaking right. Because wow. we had a, we were, we were, we had a, we, we lost a ton of really good players. And my first year, my first week on the job, we had like six, <laughs> we had like five guys leave Elton, William, Corey, uh, Burge transferred to Utah. Like it, it was like, and this was the first, this is not like nowadays where, you know, year after year, there's, Yo, no, there's yeah, then, mass yeah. turnover. This was like the first time. And I remember like, scurrying around campus trying to find guys and knocking on dorm rooms and Corey coach wants to Corey answer the door like hey man I can see you moving behind the people like I know you're in there like coach wants to meet meet with you and um but we had a hell of a class that that group and Quinn and uh and Johnny and David had brought in a a big time freshman class Jay Williams and Dunleavy and uh Carlos Casey Sanders and Nick Corbath. I mean, it was, I think Quinn knew that like these guys are really good, but what we need is like a, a true point guard and Duhon was the guy. What do I need to do? He's like, get Chris Duhon. Got it. <laughs> uh, okay. Question. Again, it was, do you go back? Just keep it simple, right? Fight, attack Duhon. Like <laughs> the simpler it is for me, the better it's going to be. There's no thought of going with Quinn. Well, when coach asks you to be on the Duke staff, I mean, there's really, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, it's not really a decision, at least in my mind. So, and he says his last, his parting words are, parting words are, get Chris Duhon. You did get Chris Duhon, right? That recruiting class was spectacular. Um, what was it like being 21 and being on staff at your alma mater? It was surreal. You know, I ended up coaching uh, three guys I played with in Shane Battier, Nate James, and Chris Carwell. That was uh, Sewell's senior season. And uh, and I was close to those guys. Um, you know, Sewell and I played a number of years together. Nate, we were on the same team. Nate was injured uh, for the most part. So he missed a, a big portion of his freshman year. And then Shane was obviously a freshman when I was a senior. So, um, you know, it was for me, I went into the opportunity just saying, I'm going to try to do whatever coach needs me to do to help the team win and, uh, learn as much as possible and then be there for the guys. You know, I think when you're that young, uh, you know, I mean, obviously everybody would love the, uh, you know, experience to be on their side. You know, I just, I wanted to be the guy that rebounded uh, for, for guys at all hours of the night when they wanted to get in there. And I, I tried not to act like I had all the answers, but I wanted the guys to know that I was on their side um, with this group. Cause this team that first year, uh, there were a lot of question marks. I mean, we had Shane, Chris and Nate, uh, but everybody else that we anticipated playing a big role was going to be freshmen. 
you know, Jay Williams, Carlos Boozer, uh, Mike Dunleavy, uh, and, and those guys. So, uh, that my, my first month on the job, there was guys leaving for pro as underclassmen for the first time really in Duke history. And then the formation of a new team, like really from losing the core of a team that, uh, was a national chip, national championship caliber team to having three really good older players and a bunch of young guys we thought were going to be good, but you don't actually know until they play. Uh, that team lost to Florida in the Sweet 16. I know because we wanted to play Duke, right? Like you want right. your career to kind of come full circle. You guys beat us our sophomore year and we're like, oh my God, we're going to get to play Duke. They're young. We're going to smash them. We were super old. And then you get beat by Florida, but we both get beat by Florida. Uh, when, when he offers you the job, is there a negotiate? How do you know how much you're making? Like, how does that work? To be honest with you, that didn't even come in the equa- into the equation with me. There's well, I, under, I, under, I understand, but it's like, it's like one of those things, like Coach K is like, once you have staff, and then like, at what point in time do you go like, hmm. How much am I actually going to make for this gig? Right? Like, is no, that, I mean, at, so, at some point, time it has to come up. Yeah, you know, no, I mean, it's it's. Hey, this is we we'd love for you to be a part of the staff, and then in that conversation, somewhere along the way, it's and we're going to be able to pay you X amount of dollars, which you know, be the ten thousand dollars cash in my shoe uh, coming home <laughs> from Poland. Yeah. So you know, I mean. It, Really, to, to be back at Duke, to work for Coach, uh, to represent the Duke program in another form and fashion uh, was incredible. Because like we talked about in the last episode, I always wanted to coach. Um, you know, early in my college career, I thought that I would be going back to high school and coaching. And then later in my college career, I thought I'd give college coaching a try. Now, did I know less than a year after I graduated that I'd be on the Duke staff? I, I did not know that. Uh, but certainly fortunate that it worked out that way. How does the floor slapping technique get passed down? <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a great question. You know, it's not something that's discussed. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, co- some of Coach's first great teams, specifically 86 with Amaker, Dawkins, uh, Allery, Billis, David Henderson, when you, one of the things that coach I think has always done is try to teach the current players, the history of the program and, and, and show big moments that the people that have come before you have excelled at and some of the things they did and the floor slap, I, I believe there's a clip from uh, Duke playing Georgia tech. And, and again, I believe it was the ACC final we're coming out of a timeout and those Georgia tech teams were, I mean, I mean, terrific. I mean, Mark Price, John Sally, uh, noodles, Neil, um, and they saw the floor. Yeah. Bruce Dow, Dow, Dow Ripple, Adrian Dennis, jo- Dennis Scott, Joseph, yeah, Devon Joseph <laughs> loaded, loaded. Um, so, you know, for me, it was, it was just something that I saw the people before me as a fan of the program do. And, you know, a lot's made of it, especially nowadays, socially, because a lot's made of everything, um, even though it's not everything means something. But uh, inside the program, slapping the floor, to me, represented a call to action. 
where it was it was a call to action for us to be unified as a group uh, in a common goal. And most oftentimes that was to get a defensive stop. So, uh, you know, I I probably did it as much as anyone and probably because I was low to the floor and uh, I didn't do as many other things well as some of the guys before me. But, uh, you know, I I. I thought it was an honor to be somebody that could initiate that call to action that had significance in the big program. So was there ever a moment where maybe even as a coach where somebody does it and you're like, nah, man, that ain't it. Like that's maybe in timing of the game or if you're not the guy, right? Like you were the guy. I mean, it, there was, you were sitting up. Hurley was the guy. Like it was really, really easy to tell who the guy was. Is there, is there, I know how, like you said, how important the history and the brotherhood is, but ha, is there, are there, have, been, have there been moments where somebody's had to pull somebody aside or somebody's tapped you, one of your former teammates, like, hey, what is he doing? Like, one, he's a backup, two, this is a guarantee game. This is not, right. this is not a call to action moment. And does that happen? Right. You know what, to be honest with you, I, don't, I can't recall a time where, and, and I think it would, come to my mind pretty quickly where I'm like, what is he doing? Now, that doesn't mean every time you make a call to action, the, the result is <laughs> the way you want it to be. Uh, but for the most part, you know, at least as I've observed, it's been used at appropriate times. Um, you know, I, I think you can, as you say, you could probably overdo it. Uh, you can you can certainly do it at the wrong time, at times that aren't as appropriate as others. But I think for the most part, in my memory, guys have, have used it at the right time. Um, there was, look, there, there used to be a little bit more sarcasm with the Cameron Crazies, right? They used to be able to get with it, but now it's, it feels now fairly tame um, in terms of verbiage, you know? Yeah. But again, that's from a, because it did feel like there was a time, maybe before you, where they weren't to the level of Maryland fans. They weren't to the level of Missouri, the Antlers, and some of the other ones. But uh, pretty tough on guys. What, what, what is it? What is that like? To let's start with playing. Okay, they're doing the camera crazy. They're doing their thing. They come up with a chant that's funny as hell. Like, what's one that pops out in your mind that you actually lost your concentration for a second because you were laughing at the crazies? Um. So we were playing, you know, when you could play exhibition games against like AU teams and all-star teams, we were playing against, uh, I don't even remember what all-star team it was, but uh, Mustafa Heron, who was a really good player at, at St. John's, we were playing against his dad and his dad had long Rastafarian dreads. And, it, you know, most of the time when you play played those AU teams, you, you beat the heck out of them. And we were beating them badly. But at the end of the game, he got fouled. And as he's at the free throw line, the entire Cameron Crazies break out into Bob Marley's I Shot the Sheriff. Uh, it was beautiful. And, uh, and then, you know, I remember we were playing Carolina one time. And I don't remember, maybe Jackie Manuel was on the free throw line. And the court is surrounded by students, uh, but the end zones have traditionally been the space for the graduate students. And that space is under the basket. And so 
Jackie was shooting a free throw in front of our bench and, you know, everybody's standing up, making noise. And then all of a sudden, all of them sit down in unison. And the Speedo guy creeps up like a blooming flower and starts <laughs> doing this like God awful dance. And, you know, it was one of those moments on the bench where you're going, holy shit. Like, this is this this is this is Saturday Night Live, not like to Carolina. And it was hilarious. And I and. And you like, know, did the whole staff see it? Was the whole staff see it? You could not see it. First of all, you know, for, for you know, hundreds of students to do anything in unison, that's going to draw your attention. I don't care how razor-focused you are. But for them to sit down, that was, that was different. And then it's out of this sea of grad students who are all, have all taken a seat Cameron, which is unusual. This guy in a blue Speedo blooms from this sea of sitting grad students and does this dance and and everybody in Cameron lost it and even if it was just for a moment we did as coaches I mean everybody was like because you know you'd never seen anything like that before he ended up missing I think both free throws and felt like the roof was going to blow off the place so the camera the crazies have been very creative uh you know obviously playing there and then coaching there when you go into anybody's building, you're going to get their fan base's best shot. And, and most of the fan bases are great, but some are like wildly vulgar. One, which you named earlier. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the crazies, uh, you know, have not, have not gone that direction. And, and I don't think coach would allow them, uh, even if they tried to, you know, test it. All right, let's talk about Maryland. Um, obviously we're right in that time with the comeback first, yeah. right? Because, because before we get to fuck you, JJ, we got to get to the comeback. Um, all right. Paint the picture of that game. What was you're on the sideline. You guys are down 10 with a minute and how much to go. I think it was a, I think it was a minute and 11. A minute and 11 um, to go. It was Coalfield House, which was an incredible, I mean, an incredible place to play. I mean, as nice as Comcast or Xfinity Center, whatever they're calling it now is, Coalfield House was like a one of a kind building. It was one of those places that probably shouldn't have been replaced, in my opinion. Yes. Um, but, you know, for context before the game, like in the in the early in the late '90s, early 2000s, as much as people focus on the Duke and Carolina game year after year, I do not believe there were any better college basketball games than Duke Maryland. We were really good. Uh, they were really good. Uh, we were we were neck and neck every year to winning the ACC championship. Uh, both programs. Um, you know, Hall of Fame coach and Coach K and then Gary Williams on, on their sideline. Um, they were hellacious games. So, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a one-off. Like, great games was not a one-off, although the ending was incredibly unique. Um, you know, they were loaded. I mean, Juan, people, I don't know how many people nowadays remember their team, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, Lonnie Baxter, uh, 
Chris Wilcox. Yeah, they, they were they were low, Terrence Morris. They were loaded with outstanding college players, and many of them went on to the NBA to have success. Um, and so you go into the game knowing it's it, it's going to be hellacious, and they they handed it to us for. 38 plus minutes because <laughs> we were good. I mean, to have us down double figures at the end of the game, that team was pretty special. Um, and I remember Nate got fouled. He had a free throw. And then all of a sudden we get a steal. Jason hits a three. And then everything had to go right for us to have a chance to win the game. And for us, everything went right. They missed a bunch of free throws that normally they would make. Guys made incredible plays at the end of the game. Battier blocked a, a drive, I think, by, by Juan Dixon. To, to see- there are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Job searching can be a lonely process. Endless searching, phone calls that go nowhere, applications that vanish. It's time for a better way to find a job. Express Employment Professionals is the local jobs expert you can trust, and they never charge a fee to help with your job search. Go to ExpressPros.com to find the office near you. Each year, tens of thousands of job seekers find work with help of Express Employment Professionals, and Express helps people find all kinds of jobs, from manual manufacturing to logistics to customer service to accounting and more getting an interview with express can be as easy as a phone call and with just one application with express employment professionals you're in the running for numerous opportunities in your community make your job search easier by letting the professionals at express be your talent agent to find you the right spot on a great team express employment professionals is your one connection for getting a job visit expresspros.com today You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has the tires that'll elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporting handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose some full line of Yokohama tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. 
They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. It doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com sports to see their Yokohama test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews. Be sure to check out all the current special offers. Great tires at a great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com sports, TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The game, and you know, it didn't go to overtime. We won the game. Yeah, that, that's the crazy part, wasn't it? So, so, so let me let me start with this. So, Kay's philosophy, and I don't know when it started, but his philosophy is like, let's just lengthen the game, right? As soon as it gets in, you try and deny the inbounds pass. When you get a steal, you get a steal. But as soon as they get any foul, right away, and then you push it, and are you automatically looking twos like? I'm not wrong with that. That's philosophically what I've noticed is he's a, the second it comes in, doesn't matter. You're not trying to wait on the bad free throw shooter. You're just the second it gets in and you, you deny the ball, then you foul and then you go down the other end and then you push and, and are you trying to shoot threes or get layups? Like what is the, what is the actual taught end of game philosophy for my Krzyzewski? Well, I, I think it, you know, I think for the most part, you're right on. I mean, you want to, anytime you're down, you want to lessen the game. Anytime you're up, if you can shorten the game, that's, that's probably a good bet too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you can get a steal off the inbound, that's the best thing. If not, you're, you're going to try for a quick steal. And, and these are split second decisions. And if you can't get a steal or wrap it up and get a jump ball, depending on the, the possession arrow, then you, you got the foul right away. And really, I mean, when you talked about Maryland, there wasn't, it wasn't like, I mean, these were all guys that at the end of the game, you think are going to make free throws. I mean, there's some of the best players that have played in the ACC. So, you know, waiting to pick out like who to foul, a lot of time that wastes more time than it saves um, for minimal difference. Uh, that's not always the case, but uh, for the Maryland game, it was. Um, and, you know, after Nate made his free throws, we got a trap and I think, I think Jason was trying to, to foul and he stripped the ball and ended up hitting a three. Then, it, then, you know, like the flow of the game and the emotion and uh, you could feel a turn in Cole Fieldhouse from this is going to be uh, <laughs> a celebration like no others because we've beaten Duke and, and that was significant, I think, for anyone, but especially Maryland. Uh, to like in 15 seconds, like, you know, a big lead went to like a two possession game and that, and that's nothing even with a little bit of time left. And so you could feel the energy of the building shift in a 30 second span, which gave our guy, I think gave our guys life and, and probably their players felt it as well. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? 
our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Um, I have an expression which you are totally free to disagree with, but I believe it to be true that road winds are better than sex. Just uh, um, <laughs> hopefully in somebody's lifetime, it's a little bit more rare. It's a little bit more rare than, than sex. Also, you can tell your buddies about it, you know, for years right. to come. Like, you know, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to tell your buddy about, man, we were down in Martinique and me and my wife like, nah, we don't yeah. want to know. Yeah, we're right. Um, the buzzer sounds. Shane blocks the drive. What is that feeling like? Of, I mean, you're dead, done, finished, no shot to walking out of cold. It's like, what, what is that like? Because the coaches also usually, and I don't know how, usually you guys go off in your own locker room at some point in time too. And you guys are talking and like, what is that like? Well, I think we all probably floated to the locker room. Um, you know, I mean, after handshakes, I think there was a dead sprint uh, to the locker room and Cole Fieldhouse. And I don't know if you experienced this uh, while you were at Oklahoma State, but some road arenas, their visitor locker room is just the shits. And that's how it was in Cole. I mean, it was the size of a closet. There was not a, uh, you know, there was not a separate coach's area. And, and a lot of times when you encountered those types of locker rooms, you know, basically you, sh- you set up shop in the showers. And, uh, it, you know, it's pro- it was probably a 12 by 12 uh, square box with, a, with probably like seven hooks on the wall for, you know, 50 people. Um, but it was, it was as uh, good a locker room as I've ever been in. I mean, there was pure joy. I mean, our guys, one, I think, felt like, and rightly so, we stole one. And yeah. the fact that we kept fighting to the end, which, you know, Coach has always been big on. It's one of his, one and, of his things, right? Yeah. It, You're going to fight. And, and, you know, we were able to, to beat a hell of a team, a team that we were competing against for an ACC championship and that we probably see down the road um, was pretty spectacular. It was a great, it was, you know, those, those are the type of feelings, uh, you know, it's not like you carry every locker room feeling with you forward. 
but special ones like that you do. So a year and a couple months later, that group, the core of those young guys, are as good a team as Duke ever puts out there, right? You got Boozer, Dunleavy, Duhon, who you did get, right? You, you did your job. Get yeah. Chris Duhon. Yeah. Get, got him. Yeah. All five starters became NBA players, uh, and you win a national championship. Was it? Was there um, any moment there where you, I mean, maybe since you've taken stock, but of the, you were there at the bottom, your freshman year, Coach K is back, playing for Pete Gaudet, two wins in conference play, two, was it seven years later? Seven years later, you win a national championship. What, what is, what is the feeling of accomplishment like? And did you, did you have the perspective at the time to really get the, hey, I was, I was here for the entire build process to get it back to this point? Um, I, had, I had perspective to a point. Yeah, I, I think how you explained it, that type of feeling did enter my mind. You know, like, hey, I was a part of, of uh, you know, one of the low points of the program and then you know, I was a part of building that back to the point where my senior year, we had a chance to win. We didn't do it. The year in between I was playing and coaching, you know, they had a great chance to win. that team was loaded, had a chance to win. And that, and that didn't happen. So that 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 national championship had escaped the program for a, really a short period of time in context of college basketball. But for Duke and what they're accustomed to about you know, a, a longer period of time. And then to be on staff with that group, some of the guys, which I played with uh, to win a national championship was, was absolutely incredible. And that team was, that team was special uh, starting with the leadership of Shane and Nate. Uh, those guys were, they still had, uh, I think some of the, the knowledge of, you know, national championships aren't gifted to anyone, even a program like Duke. And it, it can, it can, it's hard. And there was with, with Nate and Shane having that knowledge and having uh, their fingerprints on some of the rebuild, uh, I think helped that group of exceptionally talented guys reach their potential, which was the national championship. Um, but I had no, I had no perspective, man. It was, we won. Obviously you're thrilled. You're proud. Uh, every, every good emotion you have, but you know, I mean, still, I'm what am I 23 at the time? And you know, Chris Collins had joined the staff and he was 25. And, you know, we're, we do all this celebration. And then, you know, the, the most important people have to do media. And Chris and I are just standing there and we're looking at each other and like, what do we do? You want to get a beer? You know, so we went, we, we walked and found a spot and we shared a beer and we toasted. Uh, the accomplishment and waited for, you know, the guys who did all the heavy lifting to, to get to the bus. Did you, did, have you ever cracked a beer with coach K? No, coach isn't a beer drinker. He's a, he coach enjoys his wine. 
Um, so I've had a, I've had uh, a few glasses of wine with him over the times, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he'd, he'd really have to be in dire straits for somebody to, for him to drink a beer. Is it red, white? You do know what kind of wine, like, is his wine. I'm sure it's one of those deals where he gets to ordering, you're like, whatever, just go with it. Yeah. No, he, he, uh, he's got a good taste for it. He, he likes, and again, I haven't had a glass of wine with him in a while, but uh, he likes big-bodied reds from uh, the Northwest. So, um, Merlot. Big-bodied reds. That's okay. okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, wine. Um, Doug, wine. <laughs> dur- dur- during, yes, during this time, okay, you're young. Everybody knows you, right? Um, I'm sure that very early on you had opportunities, just like he did, right, to, to do that. Hey, let's go be a head coach in your early 20s. So what, what was what was the decision like to, to wait? You know, like you, you waited on a, a really, really big job. What was that decision like? Well, I mean, I was in a great place, a um, place I loved, and I was learning a lot. And I had the opportunity to do a lot of uh, incredible things. Um, so in my early 20s, the opportunities that came my way were not uh, necessarily jobs that I felt were life changing. You know, like if you take the job, you you are going to have a certain amount of uh, a chance to be really successful, a chance to provide security for your family, really, if you if you do it wisely for the rest of your life. Um, and, 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 and I loved where I was at. And I think one of the things probably that slowed uh, me down from taking a job was the fact that I got to be a part of the Olympics uh, for two cycles in Beijing and in London. And so in addition to what I was doing as a Duke coach, I was getting to watch and assist coach as he uh, took on the USA basketball challenge, which was, you know, it's a dream come true. And so uh, as uh, you know, all those things were happening, it just didn't, and there, there were good jobs and good opportunities that presented itself. Um, but I was going to be very selective given the other opportunities that uh, were that I had. Who is the most receptive of the Team USA guys from your coach to your coaching? I mean, Doug, they were all, in my experience, they were all great. And again, like I knew my place. It wasn't like, I mean, you got Hall of Fame coaches, great NBA coaches. And my, my role was to fill in the gaps and to provide help where those guys needed it. Meaning if Kobe called and wanted somebody to rebound for him, uh, at any hour, then, you know, raise my hand and get it done. Uh, so all of them, they were great. They were respectful. I learned a lot from them in terms of their best practices. And, you know, I think one of the things when people, when, when a lot of people think about the greatest players in, in the sport, whether it's now or some of those guys in history, you know, they're, they're very quick to say they are where they are because they won the genetic lottery. And they'll, they'll, they'll put a, a lot of what those guys have accomplished 
just stri- strictly on their genes. And look, I'm not I'm not debating the fact that most of those guys have they won the genetic lottery. Sure. But to be around those guys and to see their best practices, their preparation, their dedication, their discipline, and their ability to learn. It, their ability to learn is elite and in some cases genius like and that I, to me that's very rarely talked about and I, and I think it's a mistake and I think it's a, a surface level um, evaluation why LeBron James is LeBron James or Kobe Bryant is Kobe Bryant or Chris Paul is Chris Paul um, their habits and routines were elite and their ability to learn was as good as any of the smartest people I've been around. And I've been really fortunate to be around a lot of smart people. That's it's, it's a great point. It's like, um, and, and you get this with, with all athletes I've in my career, like I'll never, I, I'll never understand why people are blown away. Like, man, you had that guy and he was unbelievable. Like, Hey, you know, most of them are really smart. Like it's, it's hard to right. be good at what you're doing regardless of your size or, or natural born athletic ability, if you don't have a great work ethic and if you're not super, super bright within your sport, sometimes they're not, you know, sometimes in terms of syntax can be off or whatever, but like you start talking ball with them, a whole different deal, right? Whole different deal. Yeah. They've also played basketball a long time too. So you don't need to, sometimes you don't need to overteach things, you know? And, right. and they, they naturally intuitively understand and, and, and figure it out. Uh, what about coach K? You know, one of the things that the, the new book out talks about how he had to adjust, you know, he's a, he's a relationship guy. He's a private meeting guy, but you have to adjust when you're coaching these guys, to how you coach in college as a guy who played for him now coaches with him and then watched how he coached, how different was his approach when he's coaching the best of the best? Well, for me, the most interesting thing uh, was when I entered Duke, Duke was established. There was an established culture. There were standards that pretty much from day one and walking on campus that were, were taught to you or you learned right away. Like, this is acceptable. This is not. This is how we do things. This is how we prepare. This is how we interact. This is how we practice, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that go into running an outstanding program. And when coach took over USA basket, so I didn't get to see him build that. I benefited from it. I benefited from that building process at Duke, but I didn't get to see him on the ground floor. You know, that's that's something that Tommy and Johnny and Jay and those guys got to see when we went to USA basketball. And as I got to be a part of that, the thing that I found so interesting was I got to see coach at the ground floor of an organization trying to build a culture back up that would appropriately represent USA basketball and our country. Um, And so that was fascinating Uh, in terms of broadly coach coach is all he always is who he is um but he's going to figure out a way to connect with his audience and when you're dealing with men who are not only established pros but the best of the best your audience is different than a 17 18 year old kid who is trying to get to that level uh but 
his his desire to build a culture and being able to watch him do that was fascinating to me because I didn't get to see that at Duke. I, I got to kind of be part of the rebirth. And so I saw a little bit of it, but I didn't see the establishment. And so being there for that was was incredible. And it and it all started with the same things that have made him great at Duke. Number one, his ability to communicate standards and expectation and create buy-in with, with the NBA players and seeking their input and in, in, in what the standards should be. So they have ownership of it. And it's not just his, uh, his ability to build relationships uh, with players uh, to build trust so that in those moments of any team, whether <laughs> regardless if you're the redeemed team of, of trials that you can, you can rely on each other's word and trust that we're all working towards a common goal. And, uh, and, and so that, that was, that was a, an incredible experience. And I, you know what, if I, if I had taken a job before that, journey was over, I probably would have ended up regretting it. If you close your eyes, you said, this is my most memorable story of being with USA basketball. What is it? Um, well, there, there were so many moments where you take a deep breath and, and you ask yourself like, is this real? Like how, how did I end up here? Um, there was, I think the first team meeting of the uh, of the Olympic team in, in the Wynn Hotel in Vegas was pretty significant, and and you know, and I think when people think about basketball and and first basketball meeting, you think you're going to talk about offense and defense and special teams and all those types of things, and the conversation was about standards, and uh, all the guys spoke up, so you got to hear that these players that you marvel at speak up and and say the things that were important to them and you know in many cases they were quite profound um so being there because that was referenced throughout the trip like uh whether it was we said we were going to live this way we said we were going to hold each other accountable to this and what you did there shows that you're you believe it and it shows those things in action or at times, whether it's individually and collectively, like you said, you know, we said we were going to live to this standard and this is our behavior and our behavior does not match our standard. Um, so that was, uh, that to me, to be honest with you, was more important than what offense or defense was played, was creating uh, not only the common goal and, and, and the end game, but the way we're going to live to make sure that happens. Um, somebody who impressed you more than you, because you look, they're all incredible, right? But you think, you know, and then you watch a guy work or you watch a guy play, or you watch a guy uh, take, take in coaching or you, you know, you watch a guy uh, kind of figure out his own game. One guy who, um, who, who, impressed you way more than you thought during your times at USA basketball. <laughs> well, you had to remember, you know, for that group, some of those guys were still 
they're not the guys we think of today, right? LeBron James in 2008 is not, you know, LeBron James with the laundry list of achievements that he has now, although he was as good as anyone. LeBron, LeBron's uh, ability to learn was incredible. His recall, his feel for the game, his ability to see things before they happened, uh, his ability to understand um, what needed to be done when, pattern recognition. He was – so there was a, a time where I, I I was partnered with Mike D'Antoni and um, our, our one of the teams that we scouted was Argentina. And so you'd give a scouting report um, you know, we'd give a scouting report on Argentina and go through the things that most people go through, right? Personnel, favorite actions, uh, defenses they play, things we can expect to see really throughout the game. And so we generally would do that in the hotel. And then we'd get on a bus and we'd have to drive somewhere, wherever the Olympics had the practice facility. And that, most of the times that was not close. So we go through an Argentina scout and, and Argentina was one of the teams. I think those guys really, really respected because of Ginobili and, and how good they were. I mean, NBA, they had a ton of NBA players. They played the game incredibly hard. They had immense pride in their country. So they were unified. Um, by the time we gave the scouting report in the hotel to Arriving at the practice facility and beginning practice with a walkthrough, LeBron could have done the walkthrough all by himself. He didn't need he didn't need any coach. He didn't need anyone. Like he had in one sitting, he knew what they did, why they did it, and also how to defend it. It's incredible. It's incredible. And you know, there's stories for each of the guys like that. I mean, they're you know, Chris Paul's the love of the game. Me, he's a basketball guy. Like, if you love basketball and you love talking hoop, then you love being around Chris Paul. You know, he 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 loves it like that. And um, so, I mean, you, you could go down the line. Um, you know, Kobe's work ethic is what everybody says it it is. <laughs> My best workout in eight years, like you know, try to stay in shape and not look like a clown. Um, My best workout was working Kobe out because he wanted to make 50 baseline drift passes instead of me rebounding under the basket, standing there and throwing the drift pass. He wanted to be game-like, so I had to start on the opposite wing, actually drive baseline, jump in the air out of bounds, throw it to him. So it was more similar to what actually happens in a game <laughs> as opposed to a coach standing under the basket and passing the ball in a stationary manner. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was done playing. I was in decent shape, but, I, you know, I, I remember walking out of that gym in, in, uh, in Manchester, England and going, holy shit, I can't, I mean, I'm like, I, I could probably sleep for a day and a half after that. There's all kinds of, you know, there's so much to learn from those guys. And, and that's the thing that I have great appreciation from. Uh, Marquette. How'd it come to be? So, um, it's 2014 and, and, uh, 
Buzz had just left to take the Virginia Tech job, which I think was surprising, um, you know, in the basketball community. Um, and that, that was a job. You know, I, I think it's a great job. And I still do. You know, I think it's a great job. There's a lot of tradition. Uh, there's support. And the people who worked there were terrific people. And so, and it, there was an opportunity in going there where it, I think it made sense for my family. I, Milwaukee was, you know, even though we didn't have any experience living there, it's a place that I felt like the family could live and be happy. Because sometimes you don't control that in college. You can live, you can live a lot of places and it's not always easy on families, depending on where you land. Um, and you know, it, it was a place where you, you'd get compensated really well for your work. So, you know, as a father that, that helps too. So all of those things, great program, history of success, really good people, uh, a commitment really at, at a, a number of levels. And the fact that it, I th- I thought it was a good move for my family. What'd your dad say? You know, he, in those types of situations, like my, both my parents, like just do what you think's right and follow your heart. And so, you know, I had a coach there, there's an interim athletic director at the time because there'd been a lot of movement in the athletic department on, on a lot of levels. And, uh, a coach called the interim athletic director and, and, uh, he came down to Durham with one other person and, uh, and interviewed me. And I don't know if I was a serious candidate initially, uh, but after the interview, I was. I, you know, what's, what's interesting is, and we ca- uh, I, I want to go back, but it also helps with how you initially coached and adjusting to different personnel. I thought the best coaching job you guys ever did was uh, 2000, 2012 with Zubek and those guys. My, my, my years, correct? 2010. Yeah, 2010. So that year, and what, what guys will forever give me grief about is that you played Arizona State and they were carving you up. And I was like, man, they, they look alarmingly unathletic. Yes, wearing black sneakers, which is bad. Yeah. And you're trying, you're trying to guard 94 feet and they're spreading you out and they're Princeton cutting you dead. From afar, what I noticed was about midway through conference, it's changed. And I don't know when the change was, but you changed the pickup point of the basketball. You changed how you played ball screens because now Zubek was playing. And instead of the traditional Duke, the traditional, we're going to take you out of what you want to run. You are not going to run offense against us. We're going to pressure you and just take you out of everything. Instead of that, it became, we're just solid, almost not necessarily pack line, but a lot closer to pack line than traditional Duke. And then you guys were a dominant rebounding team at both ends of the floor. And on offensive rebounds, you guys kick out for threes. Like that was the, you started that Steph Curry Davidson thing where you started kicking out for, for dagger threes. So to me, what, what, a, a, again, as somebody who's a viewer of the program, you've done one thing one way the whole time. And there were guys that fell off and didn't have great careers because they couldn't play that way. Not because they're bad players, but they couldn't necessarily play the way that coach was demanding and your style demand you played. But to mid season to plant and pivot, I thought was incredibly impressive. 
and and it's what led to you guys winning a national championship. Um, what, am I am I right in terms of my assessment of, of what happened with that team? Yeah, and and I think the more we learned about that team, because it was an it was it was an unusual team in that um, it our roster was dominated by post players. We had, you know, and even Singler in earlier years had played the four, you know, kind of that mismatch four that, uh, that coach employed forever. Kyle was that and was great at it, but Gerald Henderson the year before went, went to the NBA early. And so, and Elliot Williams transferred to Memphis. So instead of having, John Shire, Nolan Smith, Kyle, uh, Kyle Singler, Gerald Henderson, Elliot Williams. We had John Shire, Nolan Smith, Kyle Singler, and then Andre Dawkins reclassified and was like the first guy to re- one of the first guys to reclassify and became a part of our program because we like we're looking at and we have, we only have like three guards because the rest of the roster is uh, Miles Plumley, Mason Plumley. Brian Zubek, Lance Thomas, and Ryan Kelly, who were front court players. You know, they they were they were front court players, all of them, and and good ones. So, I think the 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 more we learned about the team, um, I I think the more we figured our roster was more conducive to using our size and length, not extending our defense, putting our our guys in a position. Um, one to get tired because they're, you know, they're chasing people 94 feet and also to get fouls because quite frankly, it was harder for us to absorb foul trouble in the backcourt because there was, there was limited backcourt guys. And so we, we made the shift. We, we began making the shift probably earlier than mid season, but it kind of took shape because it was different. It was different for our guys too. You know, it was different than, uh, denying one pass away and and picking up three quarter court or four court, so that takes time. That's not just something. Hey guys, we're going to shift. We're going to do something different. And then all of a sudden, like everybody's got it. You know, it takes a while for habits to build. Um, there was a couple of significant things that year. Um, one, you know, Kyle Nolan and and uh, John, I think. We're as good, if not better, than any backcourt in the country. And John's leadership and, and security was incredibly valuable. Um, but there was the emergence of our post players. And, um, you know, I think for a lot, people talk about the guards, the guards, the guards. Like our post players, really one through five guys I named, really emerged. And none of them emerged more than Brian Zubek. Who, That's, he, he went from like a DNP guy to the most dominant rebounding big guy in college basketball. How the, yeah. and, and for people that don't, uh, don't know, you worked with the big guys, right? Like that was, yeah. Yeah. You, you worked That's, with the big guys. So <laughs> how'd that happen? How did the Zubek's Zubek? Yeah. How'd Zubek go from yeah. like barely on the scouting report? And look, all those guys, by the way, I don't. I don't think Brian ever played in the NBA or didn't stick. Everybody else played in the league at least a little bit. But but he was. Yeah, he was as valuable as anyone. Um, I, I you know I, like maybe more so. Yeah, 
You know what, Doug, and, and this is a great lesson for me. Um, we inserted him into the starting lineup late in the year, and he ended up having like 18 points and 15 rebounds. So the thought was like overnight success. Like he, it clicked, you know, like, and his senior year was really the first year he was healthy. Every other year he was dealing with foot problems. Like a lot of big guys do, you know, you're carrying a lot of weight around and then asked to do a lot of athletic things. He was injured. So his senior year is the first time he was healthy. And that, that five, the five guys I just mentioned, Brian, Lance, Mason, Miles, and Ryan, from early on in the season where we had a game, I think it was against NC State, where Tracy Smith and whoever else they had in their front court outscored our front court like 53 to six and out rebounded our front court, doubled up the rebounds. And it was just like a domination. And from that moment on, that group of five guys showed a good a resolve and commitment to doing everything they could, especially Brian Lance, because they were seniors, to make sure that this riot ended where we, we were going to attack our potential. And then let's see where that lands us. And so his emergence began well before his coming out party, which I think if you talk to anybody who accomplishes anything, a lot of times that's how it's happening. Like you're, you're chopping wood, you're chopping wood, and all of a sudden you do something and everybody says, oh, my gosh, like where did that come from? Those guys were incredible. And uh, Brian and Lance – and, and, and Mason and Miles, because we kind of rotated them in together. Um, they, they were, by the end of the year, they were absolute monsters. They were mo- like nobody wanted to see them. And it wasn't because they were doing like incredible, you know, crazy offensive trickery. It was because they were tougher than nails. Yeah. And, and it showed like in every game and, we don't win a national championship unless they make that. And, and I was just fortunate to be, you know, there with them as they did that. Okay. Now there is one thing. There was a mistake made by coach and he kind of sort of, sort of admitted it after the game. You're up two, and he has Zubek. was a great free throw shooter anyway, but he makes the first. He hasn't missed the second. Now the thinking is, all right, if we miss the second, the clock runs, they can't set up a play. But I don't know how you if you if you make the free throw, it's three points. It takes losing essentially out of the equation, right? Like, isn't that a in the in the go back and yes, it worked. Because he kind of said afterwards, like, hey, well, it worked. Would you do it again? Like, I don't know, which probably means no. You're right. sitting there next to him, and th- this decision has come to uh, what are we, 12 years later? Mistake? Well, I was surprised, and I think we were surprised because, you know, the, the court's higher, and then we're, we're like eye level to the floor. And, um, you know, I think we were surprised, but we trust Coach, you know. And I think he felt like our team was, was running on fumes, which it was, and he made a bet that, that play wasn't going to happen and we were, the game was going to end period. 
because in overtime, I don't think he felt good about us going to overtime based on where we were at as a group. So, um, yeah, you know, fortunately, I, I tell you what, it made for good TV. So that ball's in the that ball's in the air, and people forget that uh, that they had a base uh, that they had a baseline drive possession before, right? That was a much kind of cleaner. Hayward had had a floater on the baseline that he missed, but. The screen, his crunching screen comes, and all of a sudden he launches one in the air. Do you remember what you're thinking or what you're saying? Yeah. You know, even before that, you, you talk about that baseline shot. Butler yeah. had a couple, out about two out-of-bounds unders shortly before that. And, you know, obviously Brad is, he's unbelievable coach. And he, but they were great out-of-bounds under. And coach made an adjustment where, Instead of having guys match up with their traditional matchups, he put Zubek, who's a mountain of a man on the ball. Yeah. Which the ball. took away the took away the vision of the inbounder where they weren't going to score on their initial inbound action. And the team that we had was smart enough to be cross-matched and then fix it on the fly in a high pressure situation, which they did. And on that baseline drive. Uh, uh, by Hayward, Zubek went from guarding the out of bounds under to contesting the shot. So instead of him having a straight line, a straight line drive, Hayward had to take an off balance fadeaway, which missed. I mean, it's a harder shot. So the straight line drive, he's probably going to dunk it or make it. Uh, but Brian's ability to like take away their first action, make them make a play essentially because the, the action is busted and then contest the play that was made was, was huge. And that's when he got fouled and went to the foul. Um, so, you know, like those little things are, are, are pretty incredible. It was a, it was a great, great call by coach. Um, he, is that in game or is that in prep? He, did, he made that decision. That was in game. I mean, that was, that was a feel thing. Like we, we've, we got to do something because buckets were hard to come by. I mean, I, I, I don't remember that the final score was in the fifties. I don't remember exactly what it was, but buckets were really, cause they were physical. I mean, they look like choir boys, but they played like convicts. And <laughs> uh, who came up, who came up with that line? Cause just so you know, that same year, I believe it was that year I was in Hawaii covering them. Yeah. And Purdue was there. And that's what paint told me. Paint's like, right. hey, man, they look like choir boys, but they hit you like convicts. He's right. Like, he's like, he's like don't, don't let those clean cut faces fool you. They're the most physical motherfuckers you've ever seen. Right. And then you watch them they play, are. you're like, God. Yeah, they were phys- physical. And so it's a 50-point you know, game in a national championship. And I'm sure people that are like the, not the – who tune into the national championship because it's a big sporting event and not kind of like the – the diehards that tune in all year round probably wouldn't recognize that or want to see a higher scoring game, but it was a bloodbath. And we, fortunately, we scored a lot on our, I think one of the reasons we won is because we scored on out of bounds under and two of them at the end of shot clock, which pretty much played against them in the end of shot clock on offense. We got a couple buckets there out of bounds under short clock at the rim. And that was, I think, an untold story of the game. And then who's we stopped the, who, them from scoring out of bounds under. 
Yeah. Who was I mean, no deadbolt. It's, it's honestly like, those are the things that we don't, I've always felt like we do a terrible job in broadcasting. We don't allow somebody to understand the guy's confidence. I don't care what his numbers are. Confidence can completely sway, not just a college kid, but a pro as well. Okay. We talk about momentum and a lot of it is the, the person, the human being's confidence, right? How they've been playing, how their their coaches, et cetera. I, we don't talk, we use the word culture, but we don't really allow people to understand the differences in the quality cultures and in others. And then, you know, like look in soccer, you have set pieces, you know, in, in football, you know, you have, they call them explosive plays, you know, where you're, you're, you're dialing up, you're setting up, you got four or five explosives for, you know, the right personnel groupings. And in basketball, out of it's ATOs have become something that we talk about, but, it's an art to stop somebody, you know, Villanova, for example. So they, they keep track of how many points are scored on out of bounds plays for every game. I'm sure everybody does whatever, but their passion for it and the way when they practice and understanding every action you do is spectacular. It's part of their culture and what they do. So let me ask you who's in charge. Who's the OB guy? Was it you? Who's the OB guy at this point in time? So the way we did it that year uh, and, and, and really most of our time was Chris and I split up scouts. So I, I had the Butler scout. Um, so you, you were responsible for everything off, you know, like suggesting what you felt like would work offensively. Um, the things they ran out of bounds under half court, all that stuff. So, but I mean, the adjustment to Zubac was all coach. It was all coach. No, but I mean the often the, the the plays offensively. Who does? Now I was I was under the impression that you guys were um, a lot like Coach Knight's teams, where there's basically one in bounds play and there was a read off it. Was it like that, or by that time had you put in a bunch of different looks? Um, there no, there was more than there. There was a set with a number of options off of it. Um, so you, you would be in our primary out of bounds under, uh, or primary two out of bounds under your, you would be in the set that looks similar, although we're looking for different things and we're having different actions or movements based on the audible that's called, uh, in addition to the, the base formation. Got it. Players call the audible. Coaches call the audible. Um, there's some there. There's some that are automatic, depending on how the defense is playing. That that the player could could just have the, the power to make a read. Um, and then there were others that, and most of the time, it was it was what coach saw, and and this would work against what they're doing, or we want to get this person a shot. Uh, because of the game situation and what's going on in the game. When you, so, so now let's fast forward to Marquette. Okay. So you get the job. There's a lot in getting a job and I'm sure like you guys aren't blind, deaf or dumb. You know that Quinn, there's some success. There's some failure, not all of it basketball related in his first shot, right? You go to Johnny, there's some success, there's some failure in his first job. I mean, obviously, you know, Chris had early success 
He's been hard at, at Northwestern. Mike Bray was great at Delaware. He's been really, really good at, at, at Notre Dame. Tommy, Tommy had some success at Seton Hall. Then it kind of got away from him. Felt like he recruited guys that he didn't love coaching. Then he goes to Michigan. Doesn't work. Goes to Harvard. They've had more success at Harvard in his time than they've ever had before. So there's all these different guys that have left building and had various levels of success and failure. But the narrative is, okay, the narrative is, you guys, you can't do it outside of camp. You know, they don't, right? You're not blind ever dumb. You know that. You get the Marquette job. What's in your mind as to how you want to build it so that it's you can win and it's sustainable? Yeah. Um, you know, to, to your, your first point, um, yeah, I think the narratives when you're in the, the public eye uh, and you're, you're trying to stay on top of what's being said because that's your job, really. What part of your job? Yeah, you hear those things. Um, you know, I, 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 yeah, again, varying levels of success, some failures and ebbs and flows. I think across the board, that could be said uh, for, for most coaching trees. The difference is that the bar that we are compared to is the best of all time. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, he, you know, like, you know, he didn't go to seven final fours, nine years, like what a bust. Um, yeah. So I, you know, all those, I think any, any evaluation of how somebody's doing, I think is fair and that's natural in the sports world. So that's what we do. Uh, I think at times the narrative is overblown. Um, and some of it, I think, it has to do with the fact that, you know, the bar we're, we're trying to compete with is a bar that no one will ever meet. <laughs> um, so, you know, again, when, when I took the Marquette job, uh, you know, I think the advice I got more than not from the guys I trust and am close to is to be yourself. Um, but also it took the lessons I learned from Duke. I wanted to uh, recruit really good kids, uh, try to create an environment that was conducive to their growth as players and as people. Um, and, and hopefully build something that would be sustainable. Uh, and, you know, I had, it's funny, a lot of my friends and people that I'm close to are more pissed off at Marquette than I am. <laughs> I had a great, I had a, I'm grateful for my experience at Marquette, for them taking, they, they did not have to hire me and they did. And a lot of the things that went on there uh, are, were incredibly valuable and meant a lot to me. Um, we had some success, uh, obviously not the level that, that I wanted and, and obviously not the level Marquette wanted. Um, but was it, that it but, though? I mean, like, is that it? Is that, I mean, was it just, because you're like the year before you got fired, you're, you guys are really good. Really? Yeah. Good. I mean, I, was it just, was it just, you didn't win enough? Was it some, somebody didn't like you? Like it didn't, it wasn't well, like sure you there. went there and the, and the program was just a mess. Right. Like th that's, that's the point where I under I, un like, I know Marquette really well just because I almost went there. My Dean was 
And so, you know, like, like any place, like you really study it, like, all right. And they've had some really good coaches and they've had some high highs, but they've also had some like, like, it's not a, Hey, let's just roll them out. Everybody comes to Marquette and let's just go play. You know, they're also the league changes. Like a lot of things change that people who don't really know ball understand it. But was that simply it? Was it just, you thought they should have won more? Well, I think that was part of it. And I think, uh, you know, at the end of my time there, there, there was thought by the people. I, and again, I love the people I worked with. I mean, Dr. Mike Lovell, Bill Scholl, Broker. Uh, Mike Broker, who was like the associate AD, for, they were awesome. They were great to work with, and they're friends, and they're still friends. Um, I think as we talked at the end of my last year, there is a difference of opinion in some of the, in some of the ways the program should be run and and handled. And they were they were sure of what they thought, and I was sure of what I thought. And I think at the end of the day, there. There, there wasn't going to be a compromise, um, which is fine. They're, that's well within their right to have a strong opinion of a program that they're all in, and they're my bosses. And as the caretaker of the program, I'm within my right to have an opinion of what I want to do with the people and, and with the program. And so um, we, we essentially could not come to an agreement on how that was going to work out. And, and I'm, you know, the, the, we missed out on the NCAA tournament because of COVID tournament, we would have been in the NCAA tournament. And then the following year, we lost, got, we lost a number of guys that were key players, Marcus Howard's car for a number of years. So we were going through kind of a regeneration with, with younger, really talented guys. I mean, felt great about Dawson Garcia and Justin. I mean, those two guys are big time players. And some of the other young guys need, needed to grow. And we didn't have a good year. And in COVID, those two years, um, with what everybody had gone through personally, with their families, um, I, I, I wanted to stay the course because I felt like that would work. Um, and, and that's not what they wanted to do, which is, which is fine. Give me, if you give me one thing that, that you – disagreed on that you stuck your heels in the dirt like this ain't changing what was it i think some of the, the people in and around the program in their role um you know we 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 had different opinions on that what is that like because you are you're not a halfway guy you know you're not a it's like going back to our conversation about your dad you're gonna do it you're gonna do this right right what is it like though when you're an all-in guy and and you lose that job? What what is emotionally what is that like? Um, you know, it's a it's a bad day for your ego. But in hindsight, it's ended up being a great day for my soul. You know, I'm at peace with what happened there, um, and I'm thankful for the experiences. I had as the head coach at Marquette and, and some of the relationships that I built and the kids I got to coach and the things that we accomplished together. And um, so I'm, 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 I'm at peace with it. You know, it's funny when I was coaching at Duke as, as a young guy, the, Dr. Keith Brody was the president of Duke 
And uh, he was a great friend and he's a brilliant, brilliant human being. And, um, you know, he said, you know, like, uh, he, just like teachers get sabbaticals, he felt, in his opinion, as a person in higher education, that for coaches, like, being able to step away from the grind um, and reflect and catch your thoughts and uh, try to gain clarity could all, could all, would be a great thing. Now, coaches can't do that, obviously. Um, but I've, I've had the opportunity because of the decision to do that. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful, you know, uh, as hard as it was going through it when you're in the moment of it. And so, uh, so it, it's, it's been a great year for me. You know, I mean, no one wants to get fired and uh, to include me. Uh, but I've tried to make the best of the situation and I've gained things in this year away from the game um, that I wouldn't trade for being in the game. Um, of those things, like you went, what you've hiked, right? You've gone. What's, what's, what's the best hike you've gone? on? <laughs> well, the best thing I, the, you know, the best thing I've done this year is, I've stayed in coaching, but it's my eighth graders football team and my sixth graders basketball team. That's awesome. You know, there, as you know, Doug, um, from your own experiences, there's a ton of reward at different levels in being a part of college basketball, whether it's player, coach, assistant coach, head coach, there's, there's immense rewards. And we were lucky to have had that in our lives, but there's also costs. You know, there, it doesn't come without a price. I don't care if you're a player, assistant coach or head coach. And, you know, one of the things that I always struggled with was like, I, I would have loved to have, while well, I was coach, been more involved in my kid's life and it, and it didn't happen. And, and some of that's my fault and some of that's just part of the job. So to be able to coach my sons, uh, it's been that was, and I don't know anything about football. And and if you ask me right, my role, I would say I was like a quality control guy as opposed to an OC or DC. Um, but it, it it was awesome. And the car rides to and from practice, uh, yeah, I would not trade for anything. The best, the best part of the whole yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. I, I, I told my son last night, so I coach him. And uh, by the way, how good is your, your sixth grader? He's not bad. He, you know what? He's the, he loves it. He's a little guy. I mean, he's, yeah. but he so, loves so is mine. it. And he's, he, he loves it. And he, and he plays with so much joy um, and, and enthusiasm. And I love that. I love that. I don't know how good it'll be. And frankly, I don't really care. I mean, I, if he loves it, then he should go after it. I just asked because I'm trying to take you, you talk about the things. So what I've tried to do, you'll appreciate this, is I've tried to be able to do my job and still coach. Because what frustrates me is I get to this time of the year and I coach these kids. And there are Saturdays of a tournament or occasionally a Sunday, you know, which is like the bracket play. 
and I can't coach. And it's the hardest thing ever. It's like somebody else, you know, trying to watch your TV. You know, they don't know the buttons. They don't know anything. Plus, I lose out on that experience of watching my son, the good and the bad, whatever. So um, I did this. I took one weekend off and we, we went to Bedlam. I took him to Bedlam and then we played a tournament in Oklahoma, a bunch of California kids. And then I had another weekend where I had a game and we took him to Vegas and I did my game and we, we played a tournament so I could do all of it together. So next week I'm doing the Big Ten tournament and I'm trying to get my group to go to Indy and play in a tournament. And because I already have the game times, I can send the tournament my game times and I can do all of it. So it's like the best of both worlds. Like I get to, because I'm like coaching, you know, look, I, I, I need to be there two hours before. And then when the game's done, I'm done, done, done. So I'm trying to do both things at once. So right, if he right. wants to come play, okay, he wants to come play, bring a buddy to Indy. Let's go next week. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that would be fun. I've, I've done, uh, I've done quite a bit, you know, it's not like I've sat on my hands uh, this year. And when I got fired after kind of the fog of, of, you know, the haze of what your, your mind is going through, I said, this year I, I had opportunities to get right back in it. And um, I said, I, want, I decided to take a year and I want to focus on four things. And those are my family, my friends, moving and learning. And for me, all my decisions will be based upon those four things. Uh, and I'm going to try to be intentional about my investment in those four areas every day. And I have been. Um, you know, I can't say I've done everything right every day, but I've tried to be purposeful about those four areas. And it's, it's created a good, uh, a good time for me. Um. Is there any regret over taking the job because had you stayed, it would be your job at Duke? No, no, there, there's not. Um, the Duke program is in great hands with John. Uh, you know, I had a great fortune to, to meet John as a high school player, uh, be a part of the recruitment and coach him for four years. And Duke basketball is in great hands. And he, he's, he's really good at what he does. He's an incredible human being. He's smart. He works. And uh, I think they'll be great. And so I don't – and maybe as I've gotten older, you know, when you're younger, you always bring the shit from your past into your present. You know, like you're angry at something, a situation, a person, and – you, you carry that with you and, and it actually doesn't serve you at all. Um, as it's I very got, human. It's, it's very human. I mean, I can tell you like, yeah. you know, I mean, I've left, you know, I, when I left ESPN, I, one of the reasons I left, I, I had full knowledge of like, Hey, this guy's ahead of me and he signed a new deal. And this guy's ahead of me. He signed a new deal. So I can resign. It can stay here, you know, but, you know, I, I might not grow and then you leave and you're like, oh, man, had I just been more patient. That would have happened. You know, there's coaching jobs that I've talked to people about. 
oh, if I would have gotten that job, this would have happened. You know, um, it's, it is a very natural human thing to think. Uh, but it's it's amazing that you're you're able to process it in a way in which there is no bitterness or even and, and it's, it's really self-defeating. Right. Like, man, why did I like dude? you were the head coach of Marquette? You went to the NCAA tournament and done a money like those are invaluable experiences. Or, or maybe maybe it's not how you taken the job, but had you just had it worked out a little bit better at the end, would he have called you? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what what when you when you when you know because everybody has those moments. Have you had any of those moments where you start going like, man, if I the butterfly effect, if one decision would have been different, that would have been me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't. Again, I I. I have more people asking me about scenarios that didn't happen (laughs) than I think about Um, because it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about. Right. I mean, that's the, especially Duke basketball. It's like everybody has an opinion and, and people are waiting to plant their flag on one side of the opinion or or the other. Um, But I, I mean, when I left for Marquette, that was a thrill. I was ready. It was time. It was time. I was emotionally ready for uh, for a new challenge, and uh, Marquette was a great place to go to. So once you once you make that commitment, uh, I didn't. I there's really been no looking back for me. When when coaching at Marquette, like look, losing the Housers was big, and what I didn't understand was they both. It wasn't like they weren't playing. It wasn't like they weren't. An outsider is it was your three stars and their ability to all coexist. Now, a couple years later, um, could you have managed it differently? Is, is there is is there what's the what's the lesson taken away from what happened with that group? Yeah, you know, I certainly wish I could have made it work. You know, and and I don't begrudge them. You know, yeah. I wish I, I, I would have done a better job of making it work. And obviously I didn't or else they wouldn't have left. Um, it was a, it was a really hard loss for our program. There's no question about that. I mean, Sam, especially I only had Joey for a year and, uh, and I thought Joey was going to be a hell of a player for us an all conference player for us. Um, but I had Sam for three years and I loved Sam. I mean, he was he was a great player for us, and uh, and so that was a hard that was hard for them to leave. Uh, and yeah, I, I I wish I wish I would have had the answers that would have been suitable uh, for everybody staying, but I didn't. And but I did the best I could with what I knew how to. <laughs> um, but it was it was a it's, really it's, hard. It, 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 it's such a different world though, right? Because, you know, and again, you tell me if I'm way off, feel free. Right. But, you know, the, the emotion and passion that you coach with, that you live every day with is the same one that you relate to your players with and that you recruit with, but with guys ability to transfer and not sit out. And it's also just kind of become the thing right? that they're not as, connected to the school or to the coach as they used to be. And I think the coaches are then like, wait a second, I can't get as close to these kids. Cause if I do, they all leave it. I'm going to, I'm going to have a heart attack. 
You know, I'm gonna, it's just going to wear you out. Like you can't, you can't let it beat you up. You got to get in the portal and get the next kid. But it's just a, it's a weird place for people like yourself and the, the culture that you try and build. Like you can't, what are you going to teach him? Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering how, like, if that's going to take a complete adjustment or if there's, if it's going to have to be level that you coach at, like the next time around, because there will be a next one. How do you adjust considering so much of the culture of the sport is changing and evolving? Yeah, the, the sport has changed. And, and when I say it's changed that I don't like, it's not like, oh, it's bad. It's just different. And you, you have to have a different mentality um, because as you say, uh, the, the decisions and the relationships and not in every case, let's not overgeneralize. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Job searching can be a lonely process. Endless searching, phone calls that go nowhere, applications that vanish. It's time for a better way to find a job. Express Employment Professionals is the local jobs expert you can trust, and they never charge a fee to help with your job search. Go to ExpressPros.com to find the office near you. Each year, tens of thousands of job seekers find work with help of Express Employment Professionals, and Express helps people find all kinds of jobs, from manual manufacturing to logistics to customer service to accounting and more getting an interview with express can be as easy as a phone call and with just one application with express employment professionals you're in the running for numerous opportunities in your community make your job search easier by letting the professionals at express be your talent agent to find you the right spot on a great team express employment professionals is your one connection for getting a job visit expresspros.com today You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has the tires that'll elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort, performance tires for sporting handling, all-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, 
and where you drive. Choose from a full line of Continental tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. It doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com sports to see their Continental test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews. Be sure to check out all the current special offers. Great tires at a great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, yeah. Things, there, there's more like instant gratification, for lack of a better, like it needs to, it needs to hit. And it needs to hit well enough for the player, everybody around the player, and the program to feel good about it, or else there's a chance of what's across the fence may be better. And so um, I think you have to shift your mindset that that's just the way it is. And again, not saying the way it is, there's good or bad. I'm not making a judgment there, but that's the way it is. There's going to be, there's going to be tons of movement players and coaches year after year. And you have to have the mindset to be able to adapt and adjust to that and to move quickly, uh, knowing that that's a distinct possibility and then figure out if that's for you. Cause that's a choice too, right? Like, do you, like if you're going to choose to live in that environment, you need to understand what comes with it. And are you okay living there? Cause if you're not, you're going to be miserable. Um, that's fascinating. You, like, look at your 2010 championship team. How many of those big guys stay long enough to be on that team if it was in 2022? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And I, I, I lean towards saying probably not all of them. Um, but after knowing them, I'm, I'm, I believe, like, I, I want to say all of them. But the reality is that may probably not be the case. Uh, but didn't you didn't you hike Machu Picchu or or uh, you, you went so you went somewhere where you were you were you're posting that you, that you yeah. went Kilimanjaro? No, it was uh, so uh, a friend of mine um, named Jesse Itzler puts on these events. Uh, right. And it's an endurance event. It's called 29029. And, and basically, the goal is to bring the chance to hike the vertical equivalent of Mount Everest to you in the States. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever hike Mount Everest for real. But this, this event is you, you, you are challenged with hiking the vert- vertical equivalent you know, 29,000 feet vertical climb in a 36 hour window, uh, on a mountain in Utah. And, uh, the way my participation came about was my best friend growing up, uh, during the COVID, the first COVID year, uh, was diagnosed with throat cancer and, you know, COVID hit everybody differently, but I think it was hard for everybody. 
And, you know, I'm human. So there's parts of it that were hard for me too. And one of the hard parts was seeing my best friend go through cancer. And so this was even before I got fired. Um, you know, one day I called and called him at the hospital uh, to check up on him. And I knew about this event because I'm close to Jesse and my wife had actually done it uh, a couple of years earlier. And I called him and I said, Hey man, um, you know, I was just thinking about you and, you know, we've talked about how hard this has been for you. So I don't know how you're going to feel, you know, you know, eight months from now, but if you're up for it and you, you, you beat this thing's ass and you're done with your treatments and you're on the road to recovery, I would love to do this event called 29029 with you. It'd be a great, you know, it'd be a great chance for us to, to connect uh, again in a meaningful way, as opposed to you coming to my games or us texting each other. Like, I want to do something meaningful with you because you mean a lot. And I thought he, I thought he was going to say no. Um, you know, cause he's going through like he's fighting for his life. Um, and he, he said, yeah, I'll do it. And I said, great. I signed us up two weeks ago and we're going to have to fly out to Utah, uh, in eight months and we're going to climb that fucker. Um, and so that's how, that's how it came to be. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. This offseason, get football on your terms with NFL Game Pass for just $9.99. It just starts getting good. Welcome to the NFL Draft. Experience the draft like never before with live streams into draft rooms. An absolutely home run pick. And relive every unbelievable moment from the past season with game replays. That's the play. Get football on your terms this offseason with NFL Game Pass. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial. For all you tapeheads, we're back. Tapeheads draft season. You may be saying, wait, isn't the season over? But hey, it's draft season. And this NFL podcast gives you the inside slant on all the top prospects. I'm Bob Schusen, and I'm joined by NFL Films' Greg Cosell, who studies the tape and provides the real story on which prospects fit which system and which are likely to make the most impact in the National Football League. Give us just a, a, thir- a look from 30,000 feet, Greg, at this quarterback class as a whole and how good they might be. I think one of the things we will get into detail about, Bob, is the balance now between movement by quarterbacks, what we call second reaction movement, the ability to make improvisational plays. What's the balance between that and pocket efficiency? Tapeheads, draft season takes you from the combine right to the draft stage in Las Vegas. Listen to Tapeheads draft season on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And then what happens? And then, uh, you know, obviously, fast forward, I got fired and moved to moved to our home in Park City. Uh, so the altitude adjustment uh, took care of itself for me. Uh, he he was able to get a clean bill of health. Uh, he started training and, 
getting in shape and started a new health journey. And we were able to, to share, you know, a weekend together on a mountain where we got to have really meaningful time together, um, and act like kids again, which, uh, which was priceless. Um, you mentioned coaching, you know, kids, wives, they take this stuff even harder than the, the coaches do. Um, and, you know, you've been coaching football and, and basketball. What's that been like, though, for them where they don't have dad's team to cheer for and, and the players to connect with? What, what's that experience been like? You know, I think it's, it's definitely been different because that's all they knew, uh, you know, in both my immediate family and, and friends that have followed uh, family friends that have followed my journey, they've, they've kind of always had a cheer, a team to cheer for, um, you know, by extension of me. Um, and so I think that's been different. Uh, you know, fortunately, you know, they, they, they spent part of their life in Durham and are close to the Duke program. So, um, you know, they've, they really enjoyed coach's last last ride and following this team so that's actually been nice uh, so it's not like they're without team it's just my role with the team is different five years from now where are you what are you doing it's a great question man um you know i i don't know and i'm excited to to see where where it goes i mean i certainly love basketball love coaching um, I'll be around the game in some capacity, uh, you know, maybe with my own program, maybe not, uh, you know, it's, uh, want to be really intentional about whatever I, you know, choose to do next. And hopefully there'll be something that's exciting and, and will, will lead me on a journey that's been as good as this, this first act. You, you mentioned setting your intentions and lining out four things you want to do this year. Is there, is there somebody who guided you? Is there a book? Is it like you, you've, it feels like you've, you've reached a place of really good balance and perspective. Um, where, where does that, where does that come from? You know, one of the things, you know, under kind of that learning bucket, um, I don't know about you, Doug, you know, I always marveled at friends when I was in college or coaching that, that could sit down and, and actually read a book without interruption. Cause that, that, that wasn't me. <laughs> I had a hard time. I had a hard time with that. And I'm sure I have some, <laughs> whether it's ADD or whatever, but that was always hard for me. But actually this year, um, I, you know, I started out by saying, I'm going to read 20 minutes a day. And uh, I've kind of read a little bit of everything. And so I, I think I've definitely picked up things from books that I've read. Uh, and I actually quite enjoy it now. And I'm, and I think I'm an idiot for not having done it sooner. Um, but no, I, you know, I, there are people that are really close to me that, that I talk to. Um, but your mind is racing a million miles an hour. At least mine was maybe not everybody's, um, when I was coaching, um, things to do, things not to do places to be, uh, one on time and, having a chance to slow down and, and, you know, I, like you mentioned, I hike a lot. So I'm by myself a lot and that time to think outside in nature has been invaluable. 
because I think one of the things for everybody is like, is there's, there's competing interests in everything we do. Like, for example, in basketball, there's the competing interest of always wanting to be there for your players, but always wanting to be there from your family. Can't work, you know? Um, but without those, you know, the competition of time and places to be and things to do, I've tried to get clear on what I want. Um, and I, and I'm not there. Um, you know, I think it's probably always going to be a work in progress to some degree, but, um, I, I really enjoyed the time to focus on the things that are most important to me and, and try to get clear about and intentional about how to, uh, to do that in the present moment where I don't have a job and to do that when I do have a job, because that's, that's the ultimate goal. I don't plan on being retired forever. I think my wife would kill me if I did. Best, best book, uh, best book you've, you've read this year. Um, probably cause top of mind atomic habits is a great one. Um, I, I would recommend that for anybody. I think that's that uh, I, that was a book that's, uh, that's really good. Uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations. It's kind of a stoic, stoic philosophy. He was, he was a stoic um, philosopher. And that was, that was good. I mean, that was way out of my time. It's like when I'm buying it, I can't believe it. You know, I'm used to reading street and Smith's and, uh, <laughs> You know, and and uh, and stuff like that with lots of pictures and and names of basketball players. So out of my comfort zone, but I'm but it's it's actually been pretty enjoyable to to read and learn and and to test things that you thought you believed in and reinforce things that you you do. Uh, one thing you'd love to tell Coach K if you had a private moment. Well you know, how much time do I have? I guess is the, 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 fur, the, the context I need, but look, the, the primary thing is how much I appreciate both who he is and what he's done for me personally. And by extension, the people I care about, uh, for believing in a 17-year-old Polish kid on a team full of Russians in Ypsilanti, Michigan, taking a chance and sticking by me through uh, my journey as a player and believing in me enough to to be uh, one of his captains and one of his assistant and associate head coaches. And uh, that journey has led to as impactful a friendship as I could ever imagine. And there's nothing that I could do to repay him, but hopefully um, with what I've learned and taken from that friendship, I can pay it forward to others. When you're at your parents' house yesterday, have you told your dad how much it meant to your life that what, what he told you, what you shared with me yesterday about, you know, you, you can come home, you can come home, you can quit, but you got to come work at the docks. You're going to work with me. Have you told him that? Yeah. Uh, I, I believe I have, you know, my dad's at an age where he's fighting five father time pretty hard. Yep. Um, and, um, but th there has been times where I've shared with him the impact that he's had because look, uh, in my adult, my, my late teenage years and my young adult life, my adult life, I've been able to achieve 
uh, and be a part of some really special things. Um, but that none of that happens without the foundation that was set uh, with my, my folks and my brother and sister. Um, you know, I, I like to think that the things that I learned in the house uh, allowed me to, you know, be a part of other great things. Cause I knew what, I knew what great people were and I knew what great families were. And those lessons allowed me to choose wisely um, as I got to decide who fit that role in my life, um, whether it be the Duke basketball family or the friends along the way. So um, I, I believe I've said it, but you know what, Doug, you can never say it enough, right, man? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I lost mine like seven years ago. and There's lots of things I wish I would have just said and articulated, even if I feel like he knew them, it's just better to have said them, right? To actually, yeah. you know, to, to say them out loud, to write them in a letter and just, just so they, they know. Maybe it's not even for them, it's maybe for you, but still it, it does give you peace of mind that you that you you, you told somebody how you truly yeah. felt about them, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, I think that's... Uh, I think we all learn that at some point in time with that people we really care about, but um, you can never say I love you too much. That's for sure. If I come to Park City, is is Steve Wojciechowski the guy who hikes a lot? Is Steve Wojciechowski the coach or is Steve Wojciechowski the dude? Probably, you'll probably see a little bit of all of it. Uh, I'd like to think I'm a, you know, I'm a product of a little bit of all those things. But if you come to Park City, I guarantee you'll have a, incredible time and there's no, no, no I, what, what i mean is what i mean is like this is park city is this kind of melting pot of people from everywhere else right it's like the new kind of california people go there and, and they, they they go to kind of get get away and i'm just i'm wondering with like hey who are you in town for i went in town to see my boy steve Wojtowski. like oh oh yeah yeah i know him he hikes a bunch he coaches kids sports or you know like it's got to be different for you because for your entire life you were Steve, you were Wojo point guard yeah. now coach, right? Now you're a place where I'm sure people like basketball, but it's very, very different, very eclectic. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. wondering about if, go ahead. They'll, they'll probably say, Oh, you're friends with the youth coach. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, that guy's, that guy's nuts. You know, he's, he's <laughs> way too, he's, he's way too into youth sports, but, but uh, I think he means well. Uh, he does it well look uh, let's catch up in person sometime soon in the meantime enjoy this weekend because the weekend's not just about Kay but about all of you guys right because that doesn't happen without everybody right and you've been really gracious with your time and thank you so much all right man well thanks for having me on I, I really enjoyed it and uh, good luck in March all right when you when you're uh, if anytime your sixth grader wants to play any weekend you tell me I got a spot Sound so we'll have to go over, you know, like there's certain roles I want from them. So we'll have to have to sit down. <laughs> how many minutes? How many shots? We gotta talk about FGAs. We gotta talk about FGAs. Gotta talk about yeah, FGAs. Exactly. exactly. What'll happen uh, is if he doesn't play in the first game, I'll turn around in the second game and warm it up for the other team. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, man. Take care. Well. Best of your family. Right. Thank you. Bye. You too. See ya. Did I tell you? Did I tell you it was great? All right. A reminder of the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on your iHeartRadio app, Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com. Uh, I'm, I'm left speechless by how good it was. Uh, just a little note. 
Uh, Richard Patino is our next podcast guest. We'll drop that in a day or two from whenever you, you download this one. But make sure you tell a friend, you download, you subscribe, you rate, you write a review and uh, and, and send Mojo a note. I thought, man, he was he's pretty open about so many things, really open about so many things. My appreciation continues to grow for Siege Wojciechowski. I, I hope, yeah, I hope you see him back on the sideline. Plus, there's talk in here. Obviously, we're talking about hiking and other things and finding yourself a little bit. Pretty cool. Anyway, I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.